0: But I did it.
1: Hello. Good. I'm sorry I'm late. I was just looking at the sunset. It's so beautiful. Sorry. And actually, I was helping Emma in, actually out of the door first and then into the door. And if you have problems leaving the house after eight, I guess, there's like a button on the side that opens up the door, so from the inside, if you get out, actually, the door sliding door doesn't open there's a button on the side to press. When you go back in you have your key and you can use it to open up the door um, a couple of um, actually did you enjoy the dinner? Yeah. Was it good? Good. But um, I would like to also introduce first is our children's program leaders so Moritz, Marisa, Selina, Sven and Nathaniel. if you maybe could come quickly to the front and tell us uh, maybe in a couple of words what you plan to do with the children this weekend.
2: I still have the same problem as last year, so I will translate for him. (laughs) (laughs) He still tries to speak as little English as possible, so he's talking German. (laughs) He will introduce the team. He is Moritz. (laughs) Just like the last two years, he will be in charge of the kids' program. Because I've been doing it for the last two years, I take a new team every year. Because some get married and others have other excuses. I will introduce us. On our right, we have Celine. She is studying in Zurich, but is from Bern. She still thinks today that Bern is the better and more beautiful city. But that's what he said, not... (laughs) Then we have Marisa. She insisted that I would say that she loves cats and kids. She is studying to be a nurse, also in Bern. Uh, I'm Sven, I'm living in Zurich, and I'm studying math in Zurich as well, and I'm happy to help here. Then we have Nathaniel, but he's not here, here currently. He's preparing the place where we'll go later and building up a fire. Because we thought that we'd wait with the firework until the end of the weekend. So together with the kids, we'll look at the story of Joshua. And we'll see how close we'll get to Jericho. So we'll look at different parts of the story, we'll sing songs and have a lot of fun. It's a great honor and a great pleasure for us to be here. And it's an honor to come here year by year and we just want to thank you for your trust in us as a team and especially in Moritz.
1: So today is a smaller group. I think there are four or five children. And then throughout the weekend, there will be 13 kids that they will have, um, well, fun with. The same group will organize for us an IPC fun, the old Church Fun event, if you remember last year, with these hats that we were folding. So it will be fun again. Like, I nice, got a glimpse what they do with us this year. will be fun. That's tomorrow at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, well, something. Helen, you're here, and Keith is here. No. Not here, but you celebrate your anniversary today. And Joan and Shock Lord, you celebrate your anniversary today, 35 years. <laughs> I mentioned you have in the back of the songbook. Thanks a lot, Gordon, by the way, for doing these excellent songs again. We have uh, the program in the back there. Just to mention again, please be on time, especially for lunches and dinners. Right? They really want to start on time, so we should be in there. And um, just as a member. And like all the bold times, kind of try to keep them um, on time. What we will do before the sessions start I think Gordon said like 10, 15 minutes before that, like before we did, we'll be in here and we start singing um, already some songs. So when you have time earlier, come just in and, and then we gather and sing some songs. Good, that's about it. I'm really looking forward, Justin, to the program, to showing us how, uh, how we can be together or more closer together in Christ. And I really look forward for these sessions, for an exciting retreat. And um, also that we have fun together. Okay. Hi. Um, yeah. I'm going,
0: to, I'm, going to, I'm going to suggest that we do one last
3: song. Let's do one last song. No, I'm ready. Let's do another song.
0: For our time together. Deal. A quick song and then a prayer. Yes, sir. and Father, we come before you this evening. We're thankful for the beauty of this place, the beauty of this evening, the good food and the warm fellowship and the chance to sing your praises. And now we ask that uh, that you would use my friend Justin to um, open our hearts so that we could see what it might mean for us to be a community of Christian believers, followers of Jesus who bind close together and love one another in such a way that the world would know that we belong to Jesus Mm. and that we would have many chances to share the reason for the hope that we have. So uh, pour out your spirit on Justin and open our hearts, too, that you would convict us of what we need to change, that you would encourage us with all that is possible in our midst. And most of all, that we would see Jesus as the truest and first and best and final lover of our souls and of our community and of our world. And we make our prayer together with great hope and anticipation in his name. Amen. All right. So let's amen. welcome Justin, shall we?
3: Thanks, man. Good evening. How are you? Good um, A few things before we get all the way into the beginning of the start of the introduction into the stuff that I'll be doing. um, Some observations. Part of what will happen is, because I I get up here and I'll have a microphone on and I'll do some talking, is you get to do a lot of observation of me. Um, So I'm going to start with some observation of you. just coming in and being around initially, around for dinner, some things I noticed right off the bat is there is a general air of openness and conversation, of friendliness, and I appreciate that. A kind of kindness and a welcome. Uh, it, was, it was like, not every space is like that, I think you know. Um, humor. I heard some, some good jokes, some not great jokes at dinner, but the effort was there. Um, <laughs> Um, a thing that I sort of knew coming in and uh, was, you know, being from not just the United States, but from California and from the Bay Area of California specifically, um, organization and timeliness is important here, um, which I think is a thing we really specifically heard from Bretto who was late. Um, <laughs> we, we see you. So apparently, be on time unless you have a sunset or something else to distract you. I think that's the lesson. It's that's what leadership is. Um, also, the trust level, because what I heard, and I'm you know I I I don't speak German, uh, but what I heard was that somewhere there's someone who's preparing a fire for your kids and. Uh, <laughs> Nobody moved. So It's great. I like that. I am not uh, I am not like you. Can I get any men? <laughs> I I don't come from the same place. I've met a couple people from the states, but I come from a different background. Like Andy said, we I, We come from different places. Um, I I will speak not just like a different language than some of you grew up with, Um, I'll speak it differently. Uh, Jonathan, right? Jonathan and I were talking earlier, he's from Michigan. It's almost completely different English language in Michigan. I'll speak differently. I have a very different upbringing, either outside of and then inside the faith, because I didn't grow up around the church. I didn't start following Jesus until I was 18 or 19 years old. There are a lot of differences. And this room in particular, maybe more so than a lot of rooms I'm in, there are a lot of differences from seat to seat, from row to row. And yet, here's the thing I know because it can be intimidating to be the person who's supposed to talk from up front to remove people with such a variation of experience. There are nuclear physicists in the room is what I'm told. Thank you. Um, I am in Christ. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And that is foundationally and fundamentally, not just a thing that matters, it is the thing that matters. So what I get to speak to and speak on and share with and share about, what I get to hopefully lead us at least in part in, is the work of Christ. In and around me, I get to bear witness ultimately to the work that Jesus Christ, Lord of all, the one in whom, through whom all things are made, the one in whom all things are held together and the one to whom all things are being reconciled, all things. I get to speak about and bear witness to the work of Christ in my life, around my life, and hope and pray and expect, in fact, because our God is good, that that witness bearing bears fruit in your life. So I am, no, I'm not like you, but the thing we share in common runs deeper than anything possibly that could be different between us, including uh, any differences in geography or sports allegiance, um, which can be hard for some people. as was mentioned earlier, a little bit further, kind of deeper intro, and I won't do a whole lot of personal intro. You'll get a lot of personal introduction as I tell some stories. Uh, I I do write books. So someone will call me an author. That's fine. Um, I do pastor a church. I planted a church in the San Francisco area in 1998. I'm still one of the pastors there. Um, I did play music for a long time. So you can call me a musician. Now, deeper than that, um, I'm a dad, I'm a father. Um, and this is, I'm probably good here. Um, this is, oops, this is my son. Um, he's nine. His name is Asa Jonathan McRoberts, uh, Asa is a Hebrew word that means healer. Uh, Jonathan was my father's name and McRoberts is my name and that's legal. Um, this is him in action. That's, that's Asa in active mode. Uh, he's a, he, He's a reader. That's my bookshelf. He has a bookshelf in his room. He prefers mine. Uh, and that's one of my comic books that his mom doesn't think he's allowed to read. <clears throat> and I tell him he doesn't read those comics. Yes, he does. Um, I also have this one. That's my daughter. Uh, she's two. Uh, her name is Caitlin Quinn River McRoberts. Now you'll notice right off the bat that she's got the three names, Caitlin, Quinn, and then River. My wife's middle name is Catherine. Her name is Amy. She'd always wanted a Kate. And so we went with Kate. Now, I wanted something that was more kind of tied to my heritage. I'm Scotch-Irish. So we went with Quinn. And as my son heard us discussing names, he thought, this is actually what he said, I feel like I have some stake in this. (laughs) And so he tacked River onto that. So now she's KQRM, which sounds like a radio station. <laughs> this is her inaction. She has a very different personality than it does my son. Uh, that's, the, that's the cheese, which was the part of the sandwich that she wanted. The rest of the sandwich is on the ground. It is not pictured in this photo. So she selected the part of the sandwich she wanted, which was just the cheese. And her knees almost always look like that. She falls down a lot because she tries hard. Fistful of cheese, busted up knees. That's my daughter, Caitlin. Um, That's my wife and I. That's 20 years ago this past August. We've been married for that long. Um, The kids came along considerably later. Um, You'll notice a couple quick things about the image. One is that vest is huge. It was not supposed to be. Um, It's possible that I ordered the wrong sized tuxedo for my own wedding. Not only possible, but it's exactly what happened. My wife looks like a dream. This is a thing I learned really later is if I do it on my own, I can make it passable. If I include her, we'll probably get it right. 20 years later, still married, two kids. I'm a husband, uh, I'm a dad, author, musician. Uh, deeper than all that I'm a beloved son of the living God. One of the things that we have, we were having conversation earlier on the train last night, met some people and I have this, have this, and I'm not trying to rid myself of it. I'm just trying to think deeper, deeper about the ways I have conversation. I often go to asking people what they do. Anybody with me? What do you do? I'm not saying it's not important. I just emphasize it too much. What do you do? It's a nice question. But after 25 years making art, living in ministry, being a missionary to teenagers, I am not what I do. Uh, What I do is an expression of who I am, and who I am is a beloved son of the living God. Now, that's a thing I have learned really only in the context of community. Let me say it again. Who I am as a person, that I'm a beloved son of the living God, that that's foundational to me, is a thing I really only learned in community. In the community of Christ, I am not what I do, because what I do has to become secondary if my family belongs to Jesus. We made a lot of decisions early on when I started playing music, because I live in Northern California. It's not a great music town. It would have been easier, career-wise, vocationally smarter to move to Nashville, Tennessee with the songwriters. I moved to Los Angeles where the rock and roll happens, even the ska. But we, scared, we stayed where we were in Concord, California, this non-industry town, because there was this sense in us, both my wife and I, that we didn't want to lose who we were in Christ, lest we just become songwriter, painter. No, I want to be who I am. And I've learned to be who I am in Christ. I would even go so far as to say that outside of the practice of community, we flat out lose our identity. It simply happens. So it's not just a thing we get to do is live together. As Christians, it's a thing we have to do. And hopefully that will to be together binds together with the call, with the demand. In fact, the the command to live together. Um, So that's where this process uh, talk comes from. This is my best attempt to Google these words and make them look like that. (laughs) Together in the process of life, that's tonight. We're gonna be talking about togetherness the whole time. Tonight, my intention is to give you kind of an overview of not just what we're gonna do, but why we're gonna do it this way. And specifically the word in here that for me is important. Yes, together is important, but it's the word process. I'm gonna use the word ton. Uh, process, and and as I do, I want to kind of give you glimpses to why that is, is because when I do any sort of talk, the question for me about togetherness, about mission, about about service, uh, about prayer, the question isn't how do I do it well, but the question fundamentally is how did and how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus live in community? How did Jesus live in community? What's it look like for Christ to live in community in the scriptures and contemporarily? with us now. Now, I'm going to make it simple in this way, and some of you have seen this. When I think about the life of Christ, how did Jesus live? This is the boring part of the introduction, by the way, so you know, um, is just because there's a shape and I'm doing math. This, this is ultimately the, like a way to think about the way Jesus's life was shaped up. He had a relationship with the Father. Can I get an amen? In fact, what Jesus said when he was questioned by the religious people around him, they were concerned. With the authority that he had, I and mean, he was asked about his authority, like, Why, what drives you? What, what makes you do, what you do? What gives you the authority to do what you do? His answer was, "The son only does what he sees the father doing." So his entire life emanated from this relationship we had with the father. And what we see repeatedly in the scriptures is he got away. Regularly to go spend time with the Father. Things would be urgent. There would be incredible issues in front of him, massive opportunities in front of him. And he would step away to go spend time with the Father. He had a relationship with the Father. We also know mostly that what we get in the Gospels is the outward expression of Jesus' life, is his services, that he taught. He preached the Gospel. He preached the good news. He healed lepers. He spent time around people and eventually he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. The work of his life, the outpouring of who he was. He had an outward expression. He had a relationship with the father. He had an outward expression. He also had this inward part of his life. There were people that he chose to spend his life with. And part of why this is a little bit mysterious for us, I think, is these two things make a little bit more sense if we, uh, how should I say this? That he had a relationship with God, of course. That he had an outward expression of his life, that he had work to do, of course. But the decision Jesus made to live life with other people doesn't have that same kind of utilitarian angle to it because the disciples were not altogether helpful all the time. In fact, they were problematic often. Can I get an amen? And we crack jokes about Peter and his foolishness. We tell stories about Philip and his doubt. The decision Jesus made to not even start his ministry until he had surrounded himself with a community of people can be a little bit of a trick. Why is that? Now, that's, we're going to spend most of our time on in. the reason I show you the triangle is this is this is a whole life, the life of Christ. Relationship with Father, the work of His life, and His relationships with others. What I love about the use of the triangle, and I'm borrowing from a guy named Mike Breen, what I love about the triangle is it is one whole life. It's not three parts that are separate from one another. Can I get an amen? What I do in my mind, what I've been taught in my, in my practice outside church, is that life looks like this. That I divide my life up. I've got this section of my life, I've got that section of my life, and I got this section of my life, and they're all sort of separated. But what I've come to find out, and you know this already just by experience—oops, excuse me—we me go back here—is that if my if my interpersonal relationships are a mess, everything else feels bad. Can I get an amen? If my work life is in shambles, everything else feels a little bit like a mess. They affect one another. I'm not intended to live a separate life, I'm intended to live a whole life. Now the way we're going to practice this this weekend is that our our health with one another is integral to our healthy outward expression. If we are not living well together, it will make it at least more difficult to have a relationship with the Father. If we're not living well and healthily together, it will make it much more difficult and sometimes impossible to do the work we're called to do. This is the way it's written a long, long time ago about the shape of God's life and the shape of the life we're called to. As they're being commanded how to live here Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And We've come to find out over centuries that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit God is one So what we're called to then is Love the Lord your God Look at the division here With all your heart And with all your soul And with all your strength With the whole of your being Be one whole person What I like to do In my weakness Is I like to give A good portion of myself to Jesus What I want to do Is give my entire self to Jesus. That's the call. Love the Lord your God with your whole life. Which means also when I think about who I am in a relationship with people, I want this to look like Christ. I think we come into relationship oftentimes circumstantially. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on now. That's much better. We're going to get there. Because I'm not quitting on that part, you can rise up. We come into relationship circumstantially. We end up in certain places with certain people. What we'll talk about later is that it's intentionality that binds us together, though. You can end up somewhere, but it's being intentional with one another. That's the call. You'll end up with people all the time. But whether or not you choose those people intentionally is the Christian question. And then long-term, what we'll talk about is that it's actually forgiveness that keeps us from falling apart. Circumstance will put us together. Intentionality will bind us together. Forgiveness will keep us from falling apart. Let our lives be whole lives. Hold out in. Uh, these are the sections we're going to move through. Uh, and then I'll tell a couple of stories here. This is, this is, uh, this is what I think. When I think about the life of Jesus and the way he practiced in, here's sort of the features, the facets of how he taught and how he lived in relationship to other people. His relationships were were binded by intentionality and purpose, that when he went to people, he didn't just happen to go by and people just decided to follow him. Some people did. That was it. Yes. But his inward relationships are people whom he went to and said, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There was intentionality and in purpose and purpose. And you know the difference between folks you happen to be around and people you know have picked you and said, I want to live life with you. Can I get an amen? It's different to end up on, like, the kickball team or whatever it is you guys do in fourth grade here. It's very different to just end up on a team than it is to be chosen for that team and to have someone say, you, I want you to be part of my life, come with me. Intentionality and purpose. Heart, mind, strength, bodies offered to God. But what Jesus wanted to do with his people, what Jesus did with the disciples, is over the course of the three, three and a half years he spent with them, Every aspect of their lives was challenged and invited into the work of God. Their hearts, their minds, their bodies, the way they thought, the way they lived, everything about them was pointed towards God. Especially towards the tail end of His ministry on earth, and especially, and we'll look at the life of Judas while we're here, is the readiness to forgive and offer grace. That if they were not capable of forgiving one another, the community of Christ wouldn't stay together. We'll look at that too. And then they were oriented towards others over and over again. Jesus came back to this place with his disciples in which what they were doing was for the sake of those who weren't there yet who were just then showing up. So this is where we'll spend a lot of our time over the course of the weekend. You all with me so far? Okay. So lastly, this, uh, I'm making this assumption. And this is the thing I've really only come to you in the last five to seven years as a, as a teacher, preacher, author, person is when I show up, um, I don't get to bring much of anything with me. The work that's being done in here is the work that God is doing already before I arrive. I'm sorry. Hey, can I get an amen? See, he was ahead of me already. See, like, like this. Good. The work that has happened in this room is not a work I'm, st- I'm not starting a work. I'm not kickstarting a work. If I can do anything, I can bear witness in my life and maybe help clarify, maybe help propel the work that Jesus Christ is already doing among you. This is legitimately an assumption I make. It's too much pressure for me as a person to feel like I've got to come and make something happen in this room. I'm also just not up to the task. Christ has begun a good work in this place and among you, And I get to be a part of it for you for a few days. I get to maybe speak into it and clarify. This is the way Paul writes it about the people he got to shepherd. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's joy and hope was that Jesus Christ had begun. This is Paul. There weren't churches in some of these towns before Paul arrived. And Paul's hope was that the work that Jesus Christ has started would continue in the lives of the people he got to shepherd. He continues on and says this, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then this, this prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This was Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer was not that what I planted here will grow. That was not Paul's prayer. Paul's hope was not the stuff I passed on, pick it up and run with it. Paul's hope is Christ has started to work in you and that that will continue to grow in, through, and around you. So these two elements, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The second part is, what, is the part that leaves me, well, this is the, the landing point. My assumption is that God is good and will finish the work, finish what he started in you. It leads me to this word, process. Um, so I think this is the story I want to tell. My son, who is nine now, um, when he was right around my daughter's age, uh, he was two. Thank you. And um, I took him hiking. So this is Mount Diablo, which in Spanish means devil. And like almost everything in our, in our area, like a lot, well, a whole lot of things are named like Diablo this and Diablo that and like, boy, you know, you know, you live in California where people are like, we're just going to name everything after the devil and hope it works out. So and the story, by the way, at some point I'll tell you about how Mount Diablo got its name is actually a very funny story about the Spanish. So um, Diablo, this is, this is a picture taken from like right across from my house. And Diablo is like this is this symbol, it's this beautiful place. It's one of my favorite places on earth to go hiking and being around. And, I, and I, like, since I was a teenager, I would go out there, I'd go out there with my dad, I know the trails. And so I thought, here's this great dad moment where I'm going to take my son to Mount Diablo where my dad used to take me. So I got one of those kid backpacks uh, to you pick up your child and you put your child in the backpack. And you, so I was going to go hiking with my son, which meant to, I, I would be hiking and he would be in the backpack eating grapes and cheese. Um, that was his job. I on the backpack instead of the leash because the leashers are weird. Um, I, nothing against people who use the leash for their kids. Maybe a little bit of something against people who leashes for the kids. But, um, so I put, I, I put my son in the backpack, and as we're driving out to the hill, before I even get him in the backpack, I'm pointing at the mountain. I said, there it is. And he starts to get like two-year-old excited, which is just because I'm excited. Dad, mountain, hike it. Dad, mountain, hike it." Like, yeah, buddy, we're going to the mountain, we're going to hike it. And as you get closer to the mountain, into the neighborhoods and the sort of foothills around Mount Diablo, you start to see less of the mountain. And he starts to wonder where the mountain went, Dad, oh, there it is. There it is, Dad. It's right there. Okay. And then we got to the mountain, to Mount Diablo. It's a trailhead called Mitchell Canyon. We get to Mitchell Canyon Trailhead. I get him out of the car, I put him in the backpack, and we start walking up the mountain. And my son, at two years old, looks around and says, Dad where mountain go? I said, buddy, we're on the mountain. Where, and he's just, he's two. And from like two till like 18, you know everything. So he said, no, no, where mountain go? So now he thinks I'm lying. I'm like, buddy, this is the mountain. No, 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 dad, where mountain go? Because the mountain doesn't look like a mountain when you're on it. Community, family, church, as an idea, is beautiful. You see it from a distance. I love that. We hear these stories over the course of history. Pastor Annie and I took a tour around Zurich and these ancient churches, not ancient, these old, well, ancient for me, because I'm from California, everything's like seven years old. I'm like, this is so old, it's 55 years. I'm like, (laughs) so. So these old churches, this tremendous history, and we look back on these histories and these amazing accomplishments and these people, like, I want to be a part of a community like that. We see family, we think of the idea of family, and it's this beautiful notion. But as a reality, when you get into the nitty gritty of life together, it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look once you get on it. The mountain, when you're on a mountain, looks like 400 feet of dirt and work. Community, when you're in the process of life together, looks like 400 feet of dirt and work. Can I get an amen? Amen. The part I want to encourage us in is this. If you have lost that sense, or at whatever point you've lost touch with that big picture of what it was supposed to look like, of the dream of it, it might not be that you've lost touch with Christ. It might not be that the the dream has died. It might in fact simply be that you are actually exactly where you're supposed to be, and you're in the work of the practice of community. In fact, is it not sometimes necessary to let go of the dream in order to do the work that makes the dream possible? Process. It looks like this we'll talk about what happens later on when we peak some of these mountains, when we have some victories as a community, and the way it changes the way we see the landscape around us. But this process of being in it together, I want to to spend some time actually like defining, celebrating, investigating the 400, bless you, the 400 feet of dirt at your feet. Uh, What's it look like for you to be you? Um, so this is Van Gogh. You know this. Um, one of my favorite stories about process comes from Van Gogh's life. Um, and you may or may not have read the, uh, the Irving Stone um, kind of fictionalized biography of, uh, of Van Gogh uh, called uh, Lust for Life. It's, it's a, he's an okay writer. It's a really, really good book. And if you know the history of Van Gogh, and some of you know it better than I do, but um, we only have like 10 years of Van Gogh's work, which is an incredible tragedy. Um, and because, and so, to some degree because Van Gogh had a number of complications and lost vision for his own life. The other stuff we know about Van Gogh and it's sort of this weird romantic thing that, that artists like to talk about is that he never sold anything while he was alive. I coach artists as part of my profession now in art, and some artists are like, well, Van Gogh never sold anything either. I'm like, well, that's a bad metric. Um, like it might just be that you're bad at it um, Van Gogh's brother Theo supported Van Gogh's Career almost entirely And in this particular moment Where Van Gogh had, had, a, he, had a, he had a breakthrough uh, Using um, charcoal and Got into a place of kind of proficiency Using charcoal Got excited and he moved uh, To France uh, And that happens for a lot of people who moved to France It didn't work out the way they thought So um, this is my setup for this chapter in the book, Van Gogh spent six years supported by his brother and borrowing on the kindness of others in order to invest in his own development as an artist. In Paris, he came across the Impressionists and was overwhelmed by how much work he still had ahead of, still had ahead of him, pacing the floor wildly, breaking glasses and thrashing his own pieces. He asks his brother Theo, and here's the part I want to get to, must I give up, am I through? It looks that way, doesn't it? Vincent, you're behaving like a child. But Theo, I let you support me for six long years. And what do you get out of it? A hopeless failure on your hands. Listen, old boy. And by the way, this is the part where, as I know, I know, as an American, I can't read the line, listen, old boy, with anything like the actual, like gumption that comes with the line. So I just, I usually skip it. Listen, old boy, that just doesn't work for me. But he says, listen, old boy. When you wanted to draw the peasants, did you catch the entire trick in a week or did it take you five years? Yes, but I was beginning them. You're just beginning with color today. And it will probably take you another five years. This line right here. Is there no end to this, Theo? Must I go to school all my life? This part's funny now. I'm 33. Come on. I'm 33. When in God's name do I reach maturity? I mean, I'm 45, so 33-year-olds will be like, why am I not there yet? He's like, well, but I'm 45, and I still feel this way. Anybody with me? Specifically in the practice of community, but always in the journey with Jesus. Always. I have never arrived. Somebody say amen. I've never arrived. So the answer to this question, when do I reach maturity? There are two answers to that question. Never. And today, never if what I mean is there's, if what I mean by maturity is that I've, uh, I've come to a place where I'm a good brother, period, I'm done. Never if what I mean is like, I'm finished learning how to talk about Jesus. Never if what I mean is like, I know what it looks like, feels like, smells like to pray and talk with the Holy Spirit. Never if that's what I mean. Because maturity is not an arrival point, it is commitment to the process. So I get to arrive there today if what I decide is there's a next step for me. That I can be a better brother to the people I call family. That I can have deeper conversations with Christ and the Holy Spirit. That I can actually give more of myself in mission, in Christ. Maturity is not an arrival point, it is commitment to the process. Um, One more story, if you have a moment. So um, my real actual introduction to the idea of process, spiritual process, personal process, came before I knew really much about spiritual growth. Um, Andrew and mentioned that I had like, played music for a time. I was a professional musician from like 1999 till 2008 or so, right around there. Well I had not planned on playing music. It wasn't a dream. Uh, my plan was to teach English and hang out with high school kids. That was my plan. I was going to do youth ministry and public education what my parents called the road to poverty. Um, and, uh, and instead, I picked up an acoustic guitar to be a musician because so, that was a great alternative. Uh, so while I was uh, doing youth ministry and teaching, I was living with a few other uh, guys my age in Frank's house. Now, Frank, Frank Tate is the centerpiece of the story. Frank ran a record label. He was a record label executive. And we were living in his house because he had an extra couple rooms. I was just playing music just as a way to process my life, as a way to kind of like journal because I didn't like journaling. So I had to write songs. You know, I went from being an 18 year old kid who's an atheist, thought religion was silly to being an 18 year old kid who had a relationship with Jesus, who's the Lord of all things and binds the universe together. That's a lot to process at 18. So I started writing songs. And once in a while, I would play these songs at a cafe or something like that. And Frank... Record label executive, whose house I was living in, stopped by one of these shows, and now I've got the record label executive at this show. It freaks me out. A few nights later, Frank came home, comes home from work, and I'm, I'm in the living room, and I'm just kind of playing the guitar a little bit. And he sits down. And he says, "Justin, have you ever thought about playing music professionally?" "Huh? Really? Yeah. Have you thought about it?" "No. I mean, I mean, thanks for coming to the show." I mean, you, you like the songs? He said, no, I did not like the songs. Uh, but I like you, and I think you could get better at the songs part. I was like, thank you? And you would think that that conversation would get clearer from them, but it didn't. Because like eight or nine months later, I'm in the process of making an album with Frank's record label. And he flies me out to Nashville, Tennessee to this event where the record label executives would they'd get up on stage and they would say, Hey, I'm so-and-so from record label, whatever. And this is our artist. And she's the best thing to ever happen to music. Uh, she's about to change uh, human history. Her first three notes will rearrange your DNA from top to bottom. Uh, the record drops next Tuesday. We expect to sell 4 billion copies. This is Tony. And then you walk off. And I'm not joking, these, these they would get up and they would say these incredible things about these artists. Frank was different. Frank got up and I'm, ki- this is, everything about this story is 100% true. Frank walks up and he says, hi, I'm Frank. I'm with 5-Minute Walk Records. And uh, I have Justin McRoberts with me. He's the artist we are featuring this year. And uh, he's gonna play a song. I- I'll be honest, um, he's, he's not very good right now. <laughs> I'm standing behind him with a guitar. And then Frank says this. But what I'm counting on, what I'm betting, is that a lot of the artists you saw this morning, Frank continues, a lot of the artists you saw this morning Probably won't be playing music in three to four years. I think Justin will be playing music 15 years from now. I don't think it'll be better, I think it'll be really good. And so I'm making a long-term investment, and I hope you make it with me. And they walked off the stage. Which left me there to play that song. <laughs> Hi, I'm Justin. This song's terrible apparently. And uh <laughs> give for me that day as a Christian man was what the community of Christ has done for me, with me, to me, when I've allowed it. said, I'm committed to you. You're not what you do. You're not your successes or your failures. That first record, it hit, and it did really well. We were really surprised. The second record, did not. but I did not identify or over-identify with my successes because I had someone in my life who had a vision for who I was becoming. I didn't over-identify with my failures because I had someone in my life who was committed to who I was becoming. That is a uniquely Christian vision of human life. Namely in this, we are in Christ together, you're not just becoming something. You're not just getting better. You are becoming more like Christ. And I can trust Jesus for that work. So we go back to the prayer and the hope of Paul: that Christ has begun a good work in us. A good work that you and I get to call one another to. Because as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, I do not remember, after my successes, who I am because I identify with them. As a 45-year-old adult, I will forget who I am in the chaos of trying to be a good dad, trying to pay my mortgage, and I need the people around me, need the people around me to remind me that 15 years from now, when I am 60, I will still be in the midst of the work that Jesus began in me. Only the community of Christ can call people in Christ to remember that. Only the community of Christ can support, speak into, and facilitate that work in one another. We get to do this together. We also have to do this together. So may that call on us tonight, tomorrow the following day, and for the rest of our lives, be that blessed burden that we are given to one another as a gift, but also as a necessary gift. Can you pray with me? Father, you spoke all things into existence, Quite literally, through your word, you spoke things into existence. So when you speak in this room, the word family. When you speak into this room, the word church. When you speak into this room, the word community. Brethren. Forgiveness. Together. May those be less than ideas and more realities, that you would speak realities into our hearts, that we would live like family, that we would practice community, that we would become in fact dependent upon rely upon forgiveness, that as we lean into the realities you're speaking into us, you would bind us together in a way that we're uniquely postured to do for one another. Amen? Amen. Would you mind? Will you stand and sing this song?
0: you s- go ahead and sit? Uh, where's Reto? Uh, <laughs> the sun has already set, my, my friend. No. Um, the schedule seems to indicate that we have a little bit of time. Is it okay for me to use that time to uh, do some questions with Justin? Justin, are you okay with yeah. that? Okay. Come back up here then. Um, maybe what I'll do is I will start with a, a couple things that are on my mind that I'm processing as Justin was speaking, and he can respond to those things. And then I will allow you to also maybe ask some questions or even process out loud kind of what we begin to talk yes. about, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Does that make sense? So feel free, young and old, um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, whoever. <laughs> To, uh, to jump into the conversation at any point, interrupt us, or whatever, okay? Yeah. And maybe the only ground rules will just be like, speak loud enough where everybody can hear you, okay? Um, all right, a couple of things that jumped out at me um, right away, Justin, thank you, by the way, for pouring into us, it's so, such a gift. Um, okay, you talked about Frank kind of investing in you, and. In a way, kind of calling you to uh, a vision of a future version of yourself, right? Or uh, he called you to look down the corridors of time and envision a Justin hmm. who was a little bit further along, yeah. uh, as a person and as a musician, right? Yeah. So, but I think in in the Christian community, it seems to me that there is. A little bit of a fear. Yes, of course, there's a fear on the on the part of the person who's in your shoes yep. in that situation. But I think there's also a fear among any of us. Yep. Who am I to sort of grab a hold of somebody to pick them and say, "Follow me"? I mean, that sounds like something that Jesus does, yep. not something that just average Joe yep. Christian does, right? Um, and I confess that even even I as a as a pastor um, and as a younger pastor, sometimes feel that way too, like who am I to look uh, a, a man for example, fifteen years older than me, who's been following Jesus longer than me, in okay. the eye and say, "I have a vision of what you would be like in fifteen more years, yeah. and I think I have something that can I want to pour myself into you yes so. Can you speak to us about how we can, uh, as a community, get to the place where we're willing both to receive a summons or call from someone to learn from them and grow with them, and how we can have, maybe even more difficult, uh, how we can have the guts to say to somebody else, you know, some version of follow me. Um, yeah, and we'll get we'll get there.
3: Yeah. So, in uh, the first thing, and this is the like the harsh prophetic angle of it, is like any other spiritual discipline, like any other formational practice in someone's life. If you're not, if we're not doing it intentionally, someone else will do it for you. So, if I'm don't if I'm not practicing my spirit, if I'm not investing in spiritual practice in my life. Uh, if I'm not intentionally in, a, in practices that shape my life, Amazon will do it for me. Pepsi will do it for me. Apple will do it for me. The American political schematics will do it for me. Some, I'm being shaped and conformed constantly. That's just absolutely no question about that. The difference is, in the community of Christ, as we enter into the like I get to intentionally share. In the, so, someone's going to do it. Do we trust then, which comes mm-hmm. to the second part, do I trust the work of Christ in through and among the community of people, and there's a layer to this, more so than I do Amazon.com? Can we please? So then the second part is, do I honestly believe in faith that when I speak into someone else's life, um, I'm actually like entering into the work of Jesus in their mm-hmm. life, in through and around them? That comes with, hear me say it, practice, which also means you're going to get it wrong you will speak into people's life. And we've been there a hundred times. If you've been a pastor, you're trying to help someone, you're going to blow it. You're going to miss it. That can't be a reason to not do it. Because the, the you, know, you know, as Paul talks about it, like the, 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 the spiritual realm, like the dark forces in the spiritual realm don't share that lack of fear. They don't, don't share that fear with you. They have every confidence in what they're about to say. Hmm. So I'm going to get it wrong, but the only way I learn to be a good brother to, and to be an authoritative brother is to practice and to try. The grace then is not just the grace I believe is, in, is at work in your life, but it's also the grace that's at work in my life. But you need me to become like more of who I'm supposed to be in Christ. I only get that by practice. I think there's an undergirding grace for both bits. And the last bit then, so that's, that's the second part. So like someone's going to be shaping the people around me. I want to enter into that. I believe that Christ is doing that work and I want to speak into that. So do I, can I have confidence in faith that I'm actually entering the work of Christ? And the last part is like, you're called. You're called as as sisters and brothers. This is the call. Like I was asked to. I was asked to enter into this process with people. And so I want to trust Jesus. He was right about it and my fears are wrong.
0: So is there a sense maybe that our fear of calling someone to learn from our life and, and then to speak into their life, that our fear comes from a place where we're almost taking ourselves too seriously yeah. and not being confident enough in what Jesus, like you said,
3: is already yeah. doing. So my, my mistakes, I can speak for my mistakes, my mistakes uh, are one, like the lack of, like a lack of confidence. Yeah. A lack of confidence that like I have the capacity of the will wherewithal to actually do that. The other one is I like to do things, I like to do things on my own. When I am a good shepherd, I'm shepherding with other people. So I'm, in, I'm invested in the lives of people with a, with a group of folks. We do this in community. And this part of where, like when Christ talks about gathering with two or more, I mean, part of the reason he get, when, when part of the reason the mathematics are that way, like it's not just you out on your own and why he says it's not just two, it's two or more. So long as you get with other people, like we get to bounce those ideas and process that out together. Part of how you know you're on the right track is if the world around you, if, if trusted friends around you say, yes, I feel that too. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a, if you have a feeling or a sense for someone else's life or they're making decisions, their career, their family, whatever, and you're like, I don't, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is what's mm-hmm. best for you. Isn't the setup for that, that we're called into a community in which you and Jerry and Al can all sit down. I don't know if you have a Jerry and Al, but you and Jerry and Al and Veronica can all sit down and be like, I'm hearing this. I I feel this. Like, what are we hearing and sensing? And and like, what do we can find in the scriptures? We process this out together. Does that make some sense? That it's not, this is why it's community as opposed to just one-to-one. We do it together as well.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, The second thing I wanted to ask you about is... um, you know, we were joking about how we met the, the Swiss girl from Milan on the train, and you asked the very American question, so what do you do? And then we all laughed, like, oh, that's such an American question, you know, know, so. whatever. Um, uh, but the reality is that even if in Switzerland we don't typically ask that early on, um, there is, there is a problem here with over identifying with our careers and mm-hmm. our work and our successes and, and our failures, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure what the specific question is, except for just how, does, how do we help one another in community to sort of decouple uh, career successes yeah. and failures with who I am? Is it just like the way you put it, I think, if I remember correctly, was we're here in so many ways to just remind one another of who we are at the most foundational level yeah. as beloved children of God. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's anything else you wanna say about, about sure. how we can do that together, because so, it's a chronic problem, like yeah. here, and it, it, it takes shape Does that resonate
3: as a question? Does it resonate as a... So uh, to two, bits, uh, for two bits and practices for me. One is like, it's really easy for me to over-identify with my work because I do pastoral work and I've done artwork and both things are very like, that's who I am. And especially working with other artists in coaching it's like, I am an artist. I'm like, well, yeah, you're not, uh, you're bad at that. So maybe don't, um, um, so yeah, the people I work with, Uh, Like, because I've made music, I write sermons, I write books, I've done a little bit of poetry. Like, it's like art. So, uh, side note, answer the question is a guy named Seth Godin, who's really influential in my life. And Seth says that art is anything you create that facilitates connection between people. So, great chefs are artists, because there's nothing in the world that connects people like good food. Somebody say amen. So, like… As an artist, my, it's that the work of my life is quite literally intended to connect people with Christ and to connect people with one another. So even my work as a pastor, in the way I understand it, falls under the umbrella of artwork. Um, so two practices. One, I, I help facilitate uh, like a, a, a cohort for pastors in America, who specifically work with, with uh, teenagers, and we meet. We meet three times a year with two different groups of people, and when they are there, they can talk about anything but work for five days. And these are people who, they know each other, that is the context that binds them together is they are all on Young Life staff. Some of you guys know what Young Life is, some of you don't, but it's basically youth ministry. And they can talk for five days about anything but work, at least for the first two retreats. Anything but work. Anything but work. You cannot talk about work for five days, which is a trick. Um, so learning to, learning to not go there, and that's part of why, like, I ask people about what they do all the time, and I'm learning to not do that. Like, I'm learning, like, I'm going to ask you about your kids. I'm going to ask you about your history and your geography, because those things are more important. That's one. The other part is, like, the conversations we have with one another, like, I joked around, but, like, I found out that there's a nuclear physicist in the room, because I know nothing about either the nuclear or the physics part of that, um... But like, I tend to have this thing where like, I don't wanna ask the questions I know how to ask to people whose jobs I don't understand. Does that make some sense? Because it's just this foreign world. But to ask like Christian questions (laughs) to people like, how does, like how does a life of faith play out in your office place? Like to ask those questions of one another, like what's it look like for you to be a teacher? How do you, do you see Jesus in the lives of your students? What's your prayer life look like in relationship to your job? Like to ask those kinds of questions helps to sort of like bind together, like my whole life in the context of Christ. For some of us specifically in that group, because ministers tend to over, boy, do they. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Ministers tend to over identify with their jobs so bad. It's like a disease, like so badly that when we have, we talk about this on the train, when we have ministry failing, dudes don't know what to do with their whole lives. Um, So to ask this, to divorce myself from the conversation sometimes and talk about anything else, but then secondly, to ask like legitimate discipleship, church type questions to people about their places of work.
0: That's great. Um, I wondered, Sam, if you had any things that came to mind that you wanted to ask Justin.
3: Okay. Okay. Hi, Sam. Cool.
0: What else do you all have on your minds?
3: Yeah. Was there something that stirred in you? Was there a thing that was said that you were like, I don't know about that, and you want to ask? Or was there a thing that was like, yeah, that really actually resonates, and here's why? Or Was there something that popped up and you didn't even know why it popped up? Yeah. Yeah. So, depending, so uh, I'm going to tell a story, and I think I'll tell a story in a couple of days about a space like that. This is, this is a process in my life over and over, the process of forgiveness. And part of what I'm learning is uh, my responsibility in places where there's injury is to live in a posture, first and foremost, to live in a posture in which — and that's why I said like what I'm actually ready to forgive. I've been hurt enough by people, and I've hurt people enough to know that like, I'm to do a thing. Okay, that I wanna be, be prepared to do it instead of trying to figure it out when it happens. Does that make some sense? Like I wanna I, I be prepared to forgive. I wanna live in a posture in which I'm ready to forgive the people around me, as opposed to, which I lived for a long time, in a space in which like, I'll deal with the issue of forgiveness like if and when something comes up. Because then I figured out that like, it wasn't a thing I knew how to do. It wasn't a thing like, I, I just it wasn't a thing I really wanted to do. And after suffering some injuries, Now when I'm in a relationship with other people, I'm just, I'm going to say something harsh, I'm just going to assume that somewhere along the lines in a relationship with anybody, I'm going to get hurt. Can I get an amen? Like you can be the most wonderful group of humans in relationship with the most wonderful group of other humans, and somewhere along the way, someone's going to do something that injures you, period. There isn't a way around that. So my assumption is at some point, and this is what I'm saying, the thing that ultimately like, keeps us from falling apart is whether or not we can forgive. We are all going to hurt one another in some way, shape, or form. So I want so to be ready for that. So I, I want to dig super deep into that because I'm going to get to it a little bit later. And forgiveness is one of those things where there's, because there's forgiveness and then there's reconciliation and then there's restoration and those are really different things. Uh, like the, 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 the part where I'm able to say, I'm going to let go of this injury and not identify you as just the person who hurt me. I want to live there because you're going to hurt me and you're more than the injuries you've caused me, no matter who you are. My wife, me and my wife, I mean, if you've been married for more than 10 minutes, you know that the person you're married to has the capacity and the proximity to injure you deeper and more regularly than anyone you've ever met in your life. And so, if I can't live in a posture of forgiveness with my wife where I'm ready to let go and not identify her by her injuries, then I'm in a lot of trouble. And boy, I'm in a lot of trouble if she's like going to identify me by all the things I do wrong. Ooh, I still don't put that thing in the right place. I still don't. I know it's what I, that's where you're supposed to hang that up, and that's why I lose my keys every day. So, like, that's what I mean by that, the sort of being ready to forgive. Anything? Right here. Real
0: quick. Do you have anything you want to say to Justin?
3: Or and, then, and, then we'll come back, and then we'll come back here. We'll
0: come right back here. We're, we're old guys now, so we don't know if we're <laughs> any sense to you all. Is there anything you want to ask or clarify or process
3: about what he said? We'll go, let's go here and then there. No, the people, yeah, so if the, the question is the like, you know, people who are highly educated in my congregation and whether they think they know how to run everything, the folks, <laughs> oh boy, the people in my context, because I've been, I've been a pastor of this church since 1998, so however many years that is, and the people in my context, including me, who feel like they know too much generally tend to be people who've just been in church a long time, regardless of their job. Uh, they 've just been around church so often that they 've and they 've been to a few churches, and so they kind of figure they know how church ought to go that 's usually when we run into context like complex or uh, when we run into conflicts it 's with like because we 've had we 've been around long enough as a congregation we 've had a few pastors who like needed a place to come and get healed and and, and recover from like pastoral injury <laughs> and, like i'm like we 're super open to that Come be here, you have no responsibility, but then at some point a few times it 's been like well, it seems like you're healed. All the noise you're making, it seems like you're better. <laughs> Move along now. So if that makes some sense. So it's really that kind of thing. I'm going to come, we're going to go there and then here. Uh, I just wanted to help process the idea of like, intentionality and being very intentional in choosing your community and people around you. And kind of like when you not realize that you're
4: not being intentional.
3: I That's mean, great. Yes. So the the question is like is with regards to intentionality, how do you know if you are being intentional? Um, and then like how do you? And then I think the second part of the question is how do you know with whom to be intentional? Okay. How do you mind if I ask you how old you are? Is that was that rude? Okay. So part of what ends up happening is that for for a lot of years, specifically up till at least so my experience was and has been for a lot of years up, like through my teenage years and to some degree or my early early 20s, my social spaces were curated for me. There were places where like they were going to people that were like-minded. We were going to be around each other, did that. Part of how I learned that I was no longer being intentional is I was no longer seeing life-giving people. I was no longer spending time around people that I wanted. Like I just stopped seeing some people as often as I would like to. So part of how I know I'm not being intentional is like I look around and I'm not with people who like help me live well in Christ. So some of it is like it just comes by default. Another part is like I didn't know what it looked like to live intentionally because I'd never heard somebody say, hey, so you've got friends, use your calendar to put them on the calendar. Like I didn't know what it looked like. So I thought I was being intentional because like when they were around, I would talk to them. But it turns out that being intentional meant I actually putting my friends on a calendar and saying, I know I'm going to see you for breakfast every Tuesday, like uh, every second Tuesday of the month for the rest of our lives or whatever it is. And for my friends early on, when I was like 21 years old and I started like using my calendar, they thought it was the weirdest thing in the world that I had my, had like times booked out for them like three weeks in advance. Cause none of my 21 year old friends were booking anything out more than like two hours. But like I did one, like, I, so, so one, I just, I figured it out because I wasn't seeing people want to see. And two, I didn't know what it looked like because no one had showed me the practice. So tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about like, what does intentionality actually look like? How did Jesus do intentionality? Like how do you, mo- how does, how does Jesus model that ask? And this is the last thing I'll say, because I think you, I think it'll resonate with this. I'm going to make an assumption. There are probably people in your life that you know you really like and want to spend time with who like you really actually dig and they're good for you. They should know that from you. To go to someone and say, you know, I've got a lot of friends. Every time I hang out with you, when we hang out, man, I need that. So I know life's going to come, but I want to make sure you and I like actually connect long term. Nobody says that to one another. We just don't. We just sort of expect people to understand or know, but like friends who write cards or short notes, like that's the kind of intentionality. It's like, oh my gosh, being chosen by somebody is a huge deal. Does that resonate? Um, we're there, we're there, and then right here.
2: You mentioned a little bit about pastoral injury just a moment ago, but I wanted to ask if you were going to talk all about something somewhat related. Yeah.
3: Yeah. and some of them sort of drift away or they still so don't have the fire that they used to and this is a sad thing it's a bad thing and it's bad for the community it's bad for
0: the people who in fact are called to serve mm. the community here and I was wondering if you have any advice or words for people on this I mean I've talked to a couple of people in the church about this because it's something we see from Yeah. people have gone on the council and off the council
3: yeah Peter thanks for sharing that um so I think part of, and again, this is a little bit of the kind of prophetic angle of what I do. I think part of us doing this this weekend uh, and in this kind of time specifically, when we get to share and process together in the room, so I'm not just the person on mic the whole time, might be a little bit about like kind of speaking to that. It might be a little bit of, like what the Spirit's wanting to do with you as a community. Andrew and I talked uh, uh, that there, there tends to be a lot of like training and setup for the job so whether it's council or the pastorate, there is almost no training for what happens after the job. So part of what we can do is now that you, now that as a community, we, I'm just gonna use we because I'm in the room. Now we know that we have a history in which at the tail end of this particular process, you can probably, one, you can probably name some of what those injuries look like. You can probably identify that. It would be to actually have those conversations early and say, "Hey, so here's the thing that you might feel when this is over." The trick with injury, specifically when it's a leadership injury, is I don't, I don't identify that injury as um, I don't think it's okay. It's not. It's it's uh, for pastors, for church leaders. We don't feel like it's okay to be weak or hurt. You're just not supposed to, because you're a person with spiritual authority. So to set people up initially to say there's a thing you might experience, and if you do, it's not because you're broken, and it's not because you did the job poorly. So there's that. The other part of it is like, as, if you can trace back, and there's, there, these are, there's, there are a lot of particulars to that that you guys could speak to that I certainly can't, but to be able to identify those, that's what I'm saying, there, there's probably a list of like three or four things of like, these are the things that people feel, these are some things we've heard some people say, and then to like, uh, what's the word I wanna use? Uh, reverse engineer, and I use the word engineering now, I don't know what engineering actually is. I've just heard it used in sermons. Um, <laughs> English major, philosophy minor. So uh, to reverse engineer from there, like, what are the ways we can like, reshape this job a little bit to not avoid the, the, these, you know, this kind of fallout, but to set people up to deal with it better? Because the job itself won't necessarily change as a job. But there are probably some things and some patterns in the job or in the way the community works with the job that we can buffer or can prepare people better for. Does that make some sense? Okay. That's a great question. And, I, and again, and I won't do this all the time, but I wonder if there's a bit of like, this is maybe some of the stuff Jesus is wanting to get to with you specifically is like, you don't want that on, and not just as a shame thing, but like, you don't want that on your record. Like you want, you want to be a church that when people serve in council, they step off and they're like, oh. Thank God I was there and let me stay connected. Like that's what. Um, I think we might be up against our time. Okay, great.
0: Um, shall I pray for us before we call it the night? I believe that you're still. A, am I right, Reto, That it's appropriate to hang out either outdoors or in the dining hall or If you're confused about what's possible now go talk to Rita uh, or Denise can tell you. you can hang out in the cafeteria or the lobby area. Yeah. The the lobby <laughs> area. Cool. Um, let's pray together. Shall we do that? Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this evening. We sense that your spirit is among us. And we sense that you are uh, at work as we knew uh, you would be, but now we even sense that you have been always at work here, and that this weekend we just get a closer look at what you 're doing among us. Thank you for sending Justin to us to help us discern and see and learn uh, what you are up to already and We ask that we would be challenged and that we would be comforted and that we would be um, delighted to know that you have committed yourself to us uh, as our divine mentor and that in Christ um, you're never leaving us and you're never leaving us where we are but are committed to bring us to full maturity. Thank you for that commitment. Um, it's cost you everything, and it's, um, it's been the greatest thing that we could receive. So help us to receive it and to, and to lean into the work that you're doing among us and in, in us. Uh, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. How about uh, you stand up, and I'll give you a blessing as well? Does that work? It just feels appropriate. It feels appropriate. Uh, brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you with his smile and delight. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us as a community. And as he grows us in his grace through Jesus Christ, may he give us abiding and enduring and everlasting peace. Amen. Good night.